It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. It's a B list with Maddie B on a Saturday morning. Hopefully, all is going well for you out there, and uh, you didn't run out of oil last night or anything crazy like that the champs are here with apologies to john cena i guess i guess that's what we got to say coach andrew morong is in along with uh, players christina blay and irlena gathers hairston from the central maine mustangs women's basketball team they won the uh, division two national championship over the weekend for the uscaa i got all those letters right right off you the top did. of my head yes. yes and i did that without looking it up it's good i actually i did pay attention while Very i was nice. up in augusta it was nice when i was up in the wormhole of augusta i'm like how can i keep track of all this stuff that's going on but Somehow the internet helped. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it did. Um, it, when's the last time you slept, Coach? I'm just curious. Did you? Did That's you... a great question. I yeah. think for a couple hours on the you know 12 hour bus ride home, yeah. and maybe a couple hours last night, but not a lot in between. Right now, uh, ladies, you uh, you hijacked the trophy. What day again? As soon as we got it, we it's... hijacked it. <laughs> as soon as she got it. Now, where where exactly has the trophy been since you've brought it back? In the apartments on campus. Yeah. Now, I've seen it on tours as well, though. So I'm just wondering the tour. I'm pretty sure Gippers and Fielder's Choice are a couple of them. Yeah, they took it on a tour to Walmart the night we got back, and they were running around with it, screaming. And then last night, they went to Gippers They fit right in at Walmart. It was fine. Yeah. yeah. They fit right in. It was fine. That's what people do there at night. You know, they jump into the ball pit and, and run around. I mean, that's typically... <laughs> It's typically how that works. Coach, you've been close on this before. Um, how does it feel to, to, to get it finally? I don't think it's quite sunk in yet, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> all I know is that you know losing in 2014 definitely shaped our program in preparation for this. You know, If we hadn't lost in, in 14, we definitely wouldn't have won in 17. So um, it's just an amazing experience, and we had so many fans and, and, and parents there. It's just... I don't know. I can't look back at any one thing and, and just say that was the most memorable. It's just there's a lot of emotions. Let's talk a little bit about the about the season. How did you guys start? And I know you guys have a the weird break in the middle, so it can be yeah. kind of it can be kind of uh, different. How did this team evolve over the season? You know, we had a lot of changes. We started the season first six or seven games without Erlina in, in the lineup at all, and and then she didn't even start. She didn't really start starting for us until second semester. Um, we had, you know, Christina started the season off the bench for us and then ended up starting for us over break and, and, and throughout the rest of the season. Uh, this this team really came together. At first, we you know, we had some clicks because we had, you know, three Edward Little girls on the team who had obviously played together before and played so well together for us. And then we had Christina who was kind of close to them. We had girls from out of state. We had returners, you know. So it was kind of just a melting pot, and we had to work through a bunch of, a bunch of issues. And, I mean, nothing too big or anything like that, but it was just, you know, you always want to come together at the right time and be playing your basketball at the right time and, and that's really what happened. You know, the, the kids really made it easy because they're all selfless. And, uh, you know, if, if one succeeds, they all succeed. And that, when you have that, it makes a coaching job, I mean, seriously easy. 
We are talking with the national champions. Yes, that's right. Central Maine Community College Mustangs women's basketball team won the Division II USCAA title over the weekend. Andrew Morong, Christina Blay, and Erlina Gathers-Hairston are in talking about that right now. Guys, I wanted to ask you guys a question. You played at Edward Little and Lewiston, respectively. Um, what's the what's the biggest difference playing from local high schools here at the AA level to jumping to community college at Central Maine Community College? Um, honestly, it's a lot more fast pace. Uh, you got to take a lot more seriously. You got to work hard on and off the court all it's the not, time. Yeah, all yeah. the time. It's not just about giggling and being with friends. You just got to take it a lot more seriously. Christina, you feel the same? Yeah, definitely a lot more fast pace. Yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> well, I mean, the style certainly helps too, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. I, I did see uh, recently uh, a coach Gibson actually retiring. Actually, yeah. so you know, one of the best coaches in in the state, certainly that this area has seen in a long, long time. So very, very happy for him. Two hundred and forty six career victories, or something like that. That's yeah. pretty wild. You have, um, Andrew, you have a lot of success recruiting from this area, and it's not just the double A schools, the Edward Littles and the Lewistons, or anywhere else. It, it's you know, you get kids from Searsport, or you get kids from the D schools and the C schools, and they're all over the place. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about the mix of your team and what you're looking for in a player so that the folks that were out there that just got done playing in the tournament can maybe start looking at CM so they can maybe look at maybe another tournament in the future. Yeah, I I think it's a lot less about skill than people think it is. Uh, We can tell in the first five minutes if a player is good enough to play for us or not. It's the competitive fire that we're looking for. It's the willingness to roll up your sleeves and go to work. Um, it's all about the mindset. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to figure out if a player has it or not. Um, you know, and sometimes we roll the dice on a player and we're not sure if they, they have those things. And, you know, it just Maine is a great state to recruit from because, I mean, look at how many blue-collar towns and cities there are in mm-hmm. the state. I mean, there's more than not. So um, those kids are brought up a certain way and they have certain values instilled in them. And I think it makes it really easy um, for, for kids to fit our program in that regard. And then that's once once we you know identify those things, then we look at the talent. Okay, all right. Well, who do we really want talent wise? And you know we're very lucky to get some of the best players in the state. I mean, all state caliber, all conference caliber players, uh, Miss Basketball semifinalists. You know, all of those things. People don't realize the level of talent we have coming in, in into CM, not just next year, but in previous years, and, and hopefully further on in the future. It just you have to get out and see games. I mean, I probably saw over 100 high school games in the state alone this year and probably over 150 last year. And, you know, that's just in-state, not including trips to Connecticut and Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Vermont to see what the you know rest of New England has to offer. So it's a, it's a lot of hard work, but I, I think we do a good job identifying talent, um, but identifying the right fit. Um, that's to me, is more important. Do you have a couple of former players as assistant coaches as well? How were how were they uh, utilized? I mean, it, I can't believe you've been there long enough now to have former players be assistant coaches, but here we are. Yeah, I know, and actually, it's it's honestly a dream come true as a coach to have Maggie and Laura back as assistant coaches. You know, Maggie Sabine obviously was a all American for us, and then a standout at Oak Hill High School in her playing days. Um, she knows what I'm thinking. She at all times. I mean, she just says, you know, Andrew, you need to do this right now. You need to do that right now. Or this is what the players need. This is what Christina needs right of you right now. Um, she's just tremendous at identifying that, and we're so lucky to have her. And then Laura Sui, she was an All American for us as well. 
and she played her uh, played her high school ball at Lincoln Academy, and she's just so good to work with the post players um, and talk to them about the mindset needed. You know, both players not only were they all Americans for us, but they went on and played at the scholarship level after their two years with us. So they have that experience to bring back to the table too, and they know what it takes to compete at that level. So they are just great at helping hold the girls to very high standards. Let's talk about the road to the national championship. Um, let's talk about the tournament itself. What were some of the teams you played and what were some of the things you, you were up against? Because I, I don't think a lot of people know this is a really big achievement because I, I remember two years ago when you went, you were the first two-year school that had gone that far because you're going up against other four-year schools. You're still going up against the four-year schools in that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our very first game was, you know, in my opinion, our most challenging. Uh, we played the host team, Penn State Fayette. Um, who That's had, quite a draw. Here, yeah, I know. The on their team. home court, playing a team on their home court in March is never easy. And uh, they actually, the very first time we went to the USCA Division II tournament as the number one seed, we played them in the first round and they upset us in 2013 um, in a close game. And, you know, we were not going to let that happen again. We did our homework, but they were big. Um, they had multiple six footers, first team All American, a girl who was considered for National Player of the Year in the post, um, and then they had some tremendous guard play as well. So we knew we were in for it, and we weren't surprised that the game was close for as long as it was. Um, you know, I, I think that was a very interesting draw. Their overall record did not dictate how good they were, and uh, we were very lucky to, you know, get all the film we needed and uh, you know get a scouting report out to the girls and making sure we executed our game plan was, was really important. We did that almost to a T. Then the second round, we actually played Southern Maine. Um, it was a close game at halftime, and then we held them, I believe, to 16 points in the second half. Um, it's amazing what can happen when you play defense without fouling. Um, and we just kind of flexed our muscles in the second <laughs> half. And, uh, and then the championship game was, you know, we could tell in the first couple minutes that we were going to have a shot and not just a shot to win, but a shot to really pull away and make a statement. And, you know, I, I said it in the paper, but our girls are a lot like sharks. Um, the blood was in the water very early in that game and we just started swarming and we, you know, ran out to a 28 point lead in the third quarter and just kind of coasted from there. We are talking with Central Bank Community College women's basketball coach, Andrew Morong and a couple of players as well. Erlene, Erlene Gathers Hairston and we're talking with Christina Bly. Carolina, of course, went to Edward Little. Christina went to Lewiston, in case you were wondering. A couple of local kids. Final segment on this interview of the B-List with Coach Andrew Morong, Christina Bly, and Erlina Gathers-Harriston, Division II National Champions for the USCAA, the Central Maine Community College Lady Mustangs. Central Maine Community College women's basketball coach Andrew Morong. Erlina Gathers Hairston and Christina Bly uh, in as well. Erlina, do you think they let you play a little bit more at the next level than they did at the high school level? Do you feel like the fouls are a little more like you know a little looser on that on that next level? Um, honestly, I, I like to play rough. I like when people like to push me around. It gets me more in, like intense, and I like to do it back. So um, it's a lot more better than high school because I played my potential more. I'm not as soft as I was in high school or as slow. I would say. Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to that. What did you? What are some of the things you were able to learn as a as a post player uh, from some of your assistant coaches? I know. Uh, I know uh, Andrew had mentioned uh, some of the post work that that they had gone over. I mean, is there stuff you? A lot of stuff you could glean from that. Um. Yes. I would. I would say what I've learned from Laura and Maggie is that I just need to be strong and like just don't give up and always go off two feet, which is obviously what I should be doing anyway 
And, um, and don't put the ball on the floor to yeah. let little guards uh, tap them away. Yeah, yes. exactly. That's all I really got to say about that. That's Yeah, honestly, that is like my biggest pet peeve when I call games. When I see the big take the power dribble after getting the rebound, I'm like, what are you doing? Just put it back up. <laughs> Just put it back up. Every single time christina you love that when they put it on the floor right oh, yeah. You're, yeah like hey i'll just thanks it's fine i'm gonna go um for you guys what was the uh that's a 12-hour bus ride down 12-hour bus ride back i mean you guys have taken some some bus rides before obviously i mean we, we've I, as people that have played high school sports in maine you take your hour here two hours here occasionally maybe you gotta go up to Prescott Isle or something but like how do you stay focused on something like that i mean that's a long like trip and you're like around in in a bus for 12 hours i just feel like that could be i could feel that that could spiral some teams out of control at times not you guys but i think others honestly i think it was the easiest bus trip because we left during the nighttime oh really rather than during the day so i just took a dramamine and i knocked out for the <laughs> entire time not gonna lie, I took night well, night call as well. So yeah, kind of helps. Hey, you know that's great. That's good. You gotta get to sleep in. You gotta make sure you get quality sleep in. It helped in as too because well. we went up a couple days earlier than when we had a game. Like we we left what Sunday, and we didn't have a game till Thursday. So. Now, did you did you change? You've been through the schedule before. Um, I think it was the third time you've been. Yeah, I think. Yep. So, did you make any changes to this schedule that you think were effective, or were you able to kind of mold it off of what you've done in the past, or? Uh, no, I think we adapted from previous schedules. You know, getting down there early, we were the first team to arrive there. We were the first team to get into a practice down there. I think those are really important. We wanted to set up a routine for our players. Um, obviously, it wasn't the same routine as it would be if they were back in school, but we had study halls. We had, obviously, team meals. We had practices, shoot-arounds, you know, all of the different tournament events that were going on. We just tried to keep them in a, in a routine that we thought would help them through games, and I, I think that helps – you know, lessen the stress of a situation, you know, when, when you're not sure what's going on or it's, it's just not normal for you, the stressors start to increase and you start thinking about the distractions and what's going on instead of your task at hand. And I think that we had learned a lot ahead of time to just to make sure that the girls knew what to expect and to, to really keep them focused. We are talking with Andrew Morong, head women's basketball coach at Central Maine Community College, also Erlina Gethers-Hairston and Christina Blay. They're players on the team that are national champions. This is the first women's, I read somewhere, this is the first women's championship for uh, in the state of Maine, like national ever? Yes, yeah, any level. Um, when we reached the final in 2014, we joined only Bowdoin and USM to ever even reach a national championship game. Um, so all those three teams previously had, had lost. So this is the, the first national championship in women's collegiate basketball history in the state of Maine. That's great. What's next for you, young ladies? What, what's your plans now? What are you going to do? Outside of, you know, win more or whatever. What, what's the what's the plan? I know a lot of folks go to scholarship colleges, stuff like that. We plan on, you know, winning another championship and then transferring out and hopefully going on scholarship. Nice. Well, ladies, thank you very much. I, I'm glad that this wasn't the typical early morning, uh, the <laughs> typical early morning one, because uh, a lot of folks get here around 7 and they can't form sen sentences. So you guys did a really good job. So thank you very much for that. And congratulations. Um, try not to dent or ding the trophy when you bring it around town. You know, yeah. Just be careful on that. Andrew, congratulations. I know how hard you've worked for this. And uh, it's been a big couple of years for you, So uh, both personally and professionally. So it's it's good to see uh, your hard work's panning out. And uh, go get some sleep and then go get to work on another one. Yeah, uh, thank you. appreciate you for uh, having us down here. I really appreciate it. No problem. Now we shift from women's basketball to more of the B-List. 
Welcome back. It's a B-list for a Saturday. We just got done talking to Coach Morong and the national champion Central Bank Community College Mustangs. Of course, if you missed any of that interview, catch it now on demand at sportstime780.com. We're now joined by Chad Finn from Boston.com and the Boston Globe. What's the what, what's what's going on on the sports queue this week? Like that, you've got a new topic every day now. When, when did this start, and uh, and and how much fun are you having doing it? Uh, a lot of fun. It started uh, right before the Super Bowl. Um, something that uh, one of my editors, one of my bosses, uh, kind of came up with as a new project strictly for Boston.com, where uh, we take a reader question uh, every day except for Saturday. Uh, so I get Friday night off from it. Well, that's and, nice. Uh, it's a reader submitted question, you know, on something going on Boston sports. And I answer it fairly briefly, a couple hundred words uh, or, you know, one wise guy comment in 10 words and then uh, <laughs> kind of let people have at it in the comments. So it's been pretty fun so far. I got kind of a soft launch there during Super Bowl week, but I think it's going to be promoted a little bit more. And uh, it is really fun. It's uh, the comment section hasn't uh, devolved into a cesspool so far like a lot of them do. So uh, it, the back and forth has been fun. Uh, it's, and uh, there's never a lack for anything to talk about around here. So I always feel like I got pretty good topics. And when in doubt, you can just uh, suggest trading Jalen Brown for any NBA player and get people going. So what? What? You know, he's come a long way from getting booed on draft night. Yeah, really booed. Uh, they, they were not happy with uh, Wick Grousebeck when he announced the pick and uh, all those fireworks that were promised. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I've done some Celtic stuff this year. Uh, I did a profile of uh, Danny Ainge for the Globe magazine and some other things. And um, I know some people over there know what they're thinking was going into the draft. And uh, when they ended up with the third pick and the perception was it was a two-player draft, Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, and a bunch of garbage beyond that, uh, in the hot take world anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the hot take Danny Ainge looked around the room and said, uh, all right, Jalen Brown. And his scouts were like, uh, you know, do we want to talk about other people? Maybe Chris Dunn, uh, uh, Jamal Murray, somebody like that. And Ainge already had his heart set on on, uh, on Brown, really liked him for a long time. They'd scouted him back to high school. And they did talk about other guys. They did due diligence on everybody. But ultimately, in the end, they came back around to the guy Ainge wanted in the first place, if had if they had ended up in the number three spot. So uh, they were really happy internally with that pick. And uh, from what we've seen out of Brown last three weeks or so, uh, totally justified. He's really blossomed. And some of the things that were supposed to be weaknesses, his shooting uh, and his ability to finish at the rim, even with his great athleticism, they're starting to look like strengths right now. He's shooting the ball really well, and he's he's making those layups when he has them, and sometimes those layups are dunks with, with traffic in front of him. So uh, I think you have to feel really good about where this kid's career is heading. Well, and, and I, I kind of like that too. I mean, my, my biggest thing with him right now is if he's going to get to the rim and he's going to be the next, he's going to be Paul Piercean in terms of being able to get to the line and everything, he's got to mm-hmm. make his free throws because his free throws aren't even close. Like they're DeAndre Jordan level at times. And <laughs> it's amazing because he's, he's out there hitting some square up threes that I wouldn't think he would be able to hit because I know shooting was really the big thing that they were concerned about with him when they first got him. So I, it, it's been really, it's been really interesting to watch him evolve, but then you think of the next Brooklyn pick, and then you think of the next Brooklyn pick, and all of a sudden I don't feel quite so bad that Paul George and, and Jimmy Butler didn't come to town during the trade deadline, you know? Yeah, I mean, he may grow up to be Jimmy Butler. You don't know. Right. Uh, you, you just have no idea with a kid who's a rookie. Uh, you can't say that Ingram's a bust. You know, all of a sudden, people here like Jalen Brown better than they like Ingram. You're talking about the sports queue. I offered that as a question last right. week. Right. 
it was like 80 percent uh, oh yeah take Jalen Brown nobody would have said that a month ago no and uh, but Ingram struggled he's almost a year younger than Brown and uh, you, you gotta say get back to me in, in uh, five years we'll, we'll see where they are and still even then they're both 24 years old so uh, you know Brown would be 25 turning 25 but uh, you know I one of the things we were talking about on, on the site uh, today was the 98 draft, Dirk Nowitzki versus Paul Pierce. Nowitzki's the guy Patino wanted. Somehow he got one right. He just didn't get his guy. Uh, who would you rather have had for the full length of their career? And you look back on Dirk, he shot 20% from three in his rookie season. Uh, he obviously uh, figured out how to shoot three-pointers at an NBA level at a fairly decent clip. And uh, you, But had you judged him back then, I mean, Patino probably would have traded him to the Raptors for uh, you know some guy who played at Kentucky halfway through his rookie year. So you just don't <laughs> know with young guys. You've got to give them time. But uh, it looks very, very encouraging with Jalen Brown right now. And I suspect it'll look really encouraging with Brandon Ingram in a couple of years once he gets some weight on him. If he can get some weight on him. Some guys just yeah, can't get yeah. weight on him. You know, it's just it's weird like that. Chad Finn is in from the Boston Globe. Of course, you can find him online at boston.com. Follow him on Twitter at Globe Chad Finn. We got two more segments with him on the way. It's a B list for Saturday on Sports Time 780 and SportsTime780.com, Central and Western Maine's new sports leader. Welcome back. Segment number three on the B list for a Saturday. Chad Finn joins me from the Boston Globe and Boston.com. You know we're we're right in the middle of uh, of uh, <laughs> uh, of Celtics craziness and Bruins craziness and Patriots free agency craziness and David Price's elbow craziness. But I'm going to jump back to the Celtics real quick because it's been so long since I've been able to have a good Celtics conversation with anybody that I just want to enjoy it for a second. Um, you know, we're, we're coming off of the 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 Golden State win the other night. They played some really good defense. Everything was good, but. The next, the the next big thing is, if you're a free agent and, and you turn down Boston, are you concerned now that there's a curse? Because so far, Kevin Durant and Andrew Bogut have both <laughs> gone down since telling the the Celtics, "Hey, you know what? You were my second pick. You were right there." And and Andrew Bogut played what five minutes for the Cavs, and he's he's going to be waived after breaking his leg. Yeah, I think it was fifty six seconds. Right. <laughs> he he, he would have dreamed of five minutes. Uh, yeah, there's some kind of curse there, but it also ties into the Warriors. I'm not sure how because Bogut's a former Warrior, uh, Durant's a current Warrior. But if you played for Golden State and you have the Celtics as your a number two destination, you're doomed. I think that's fairly clear. I think that's it. That, that'll be the new curse. Like that'll that'll be the whole thing. I'll just be broken legs everywhere. It'll be fine. Uh, let's jump over to the Patriots real quick. Of course, they made some news today, um, picking up more folks from Buffalo. It's amazing to me how they're able to take players from Cleveland and Buffalo and win Super Bowls, and Cleveland and Buffalo can't do anything. They can't even make the playoffs. Like it, it's stunning to me how they're able to do that. And I, I really know. I I think everybody's kind of waiting to see what this is going to mean for. Super Bowl hero Malcolm Butler is he is he going to be leaving town? Is he going to be traded? There is all sorts of craziness going on with the New England Patriots, and, and it looks like the, the Cleveland Browns are also trying to load up to get Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, it, this is the cra one of the craziest off-seasons in, in recent Patriots uh, history I can remember. Yeah, and as we talk about this, we're only about three hours into free agency here. So, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it could get wilder. It could the, be. The, the biggest shock to me, well, there are a couple, I guess. I mean, the Patriots going out and paying for uh, a legitimate, what, top five big-name free agent in Gilmore. Uh, it's something they haven't done since Adelius Thomas. Uh, and before that, it was probably Roosevelt Colvin in 2003. So it, it's something they tend to do, uh, 
you know, every half dozen years, if uh, if that much. So they must really like this player, and they are pretty familiar with him, and they do have a good history of taking Bills discards and uh, proving that the Bills are completely misusing them or didn't know what they had. So uh, he's a really good player, uh, but you look at that $40 million guaranteed that he has, and you say, boy, if I'm Malcolm Butler, I, I, I feel like that should be my money, even though I don't quite have the leverage right now because I'm a restricted free agent rather than a a flat out uh, a free free agent uh, that has to be disappointing where you've done everything right, done it the Patriot way, helped win a couple Super Bowls, legitimately one Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl in, in one sense. And uh, they go out and get a guy to play your position because you just don't have that leverage. That's frustrating. But the biggest shock to me is that the Browns look competent outside of New England here. Uh, loading up on draft picks, what you should do in the NFL. I, I, I know everybody falls for the first round picks and it's a lucrative business for the Kuipers and McShays of the world. But you look at the way the Patriots have built their team. It, it, take a look at the uh, Chandler Jones deal where they got a second round pick back along with the player. They turned the second round pick into a third or fourth rounder. Got Joe Thune and Malcolm Mitchell with those picks. Uh, this is what Cleveland should be doing. They should be getting as many tickets in the draft as they can because you're going to have a uh, you're not going to have a 100% hit rate no matter where you're drafting. If you have five straight number one picks, three of those guys are going to be flops, or a couple of them will be flops. But uh, get picks, load up on young players, keep the best ones. That That's the model that you should be uh, using to build a team that's as, as down in the dumps as, as the Browns are and historically are. So uh, I think they're on the right track there. And, and of course, the big mystery is whether they're going to try and wheel some of those picks for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Reporters out there seem to think so. National reporters don't seem to think so. So uh, it's a crazy deadline and uh, a crazy uh, uh, trading period here and free agency period and might even get a little bit more wilder before they're, before uh, we're through this. We're talking with Chad Finn from the Boston Globe and Boston.com. Of course, uh, you can get up to date on the latest with Patriots free agency. Just follow Sports Time at 780 on Twitter. You can also follow Chad on Twitter as well. Look for Globe Chad Finn there. You know, it. I didn't like the way the Bruins got rid of Claude Julian. I don't think anybody liked it. Uh, you're talking about a Stanley Cup winning coach, a guy who, who had, had made it back to the Stanley Cup Finals afterwards. But so far, the results since they've gotten rid of him have been pretty good. Uh, nine and three as of last check, as of as of recording time on this under under Mr. Cassidy, and and seems to be a little bit different. And then you've also got some youngsters, you know, the, s- popping off a little bit about some things that happened under Claude. Do, do you think it might have just been time for a change on both sides, even though for the longest time it was a good relationship? Do you think it's sour? Do you think maybe this is a change that should have been made sooner, depending on, on, on the way the front office was looking to, the style of play they were looking to do with the players they were looking to bring in? It just, it never seemed like it really meshed between Sweeney and, and, and Neely, especially when that change was made from Shirelli to Sweeney. To, to Claude, and usually there's a there's a coaching change that goes along with it, but he kept over, and I almost wonder if that held that team back for a little bit, or or what happened, but Bruins seem to be on the right track, actually, for once. They do, and I, I was really wary of Bruce Cassidy. Uh, there were just some complete hatchet jobs on, on the job he did with the, the Capitals a you know, decade ago. Uh, when he was a coach there in, in the Washington Post stuff, you, just, you, you read it, and you're like, how can this guy ever get a job again? But uh, here we are. Uh, made a good name for himself back in the Bruins organization down in the AHL. Sweeney knows him well, and it's certainly off to a good start. You've seen some of the younger players who who floundered under uh, Claude uh, seem to uh, thrive a little bit more in more of an open situation. David Krejci's playing better now. Um, 
seems to be a little bit more freedom, and they've taken to it well. Uh, they, they look like a better offensive team than they did under Club. Tory Krug, too, has become a little bit more freewheeling like he was when he first got here. Uh, but they still have this weird... Uh, they had this weird kind of dynamic when Claude was here where you knew what he could do as a coach. He was tremendous defensive coach, one with a certain style, a very respected guy, and was better at developing young players than he got credit for. I mean, Pasternak uh, developed on his watch. You know, Tuca developed as a goalie on his watch. Uh, Krejci was a young player. Uh, a lot of them did. Uh, the really skilled guys uh, ended up getting the most out of their ability, but, you know, the Spooners and people like that maybe didn't. And, uh, maybe needed a change of a uh, change of coach, change of voice there. Uh, but you you looked at the way Cam built the team. That was the bigger issue. It was uh, going out and getting David Backus, who's you know Neely's kind of player, great career he's had, former Olympian, but uh, didn't necessarily mesh with uh, what Claude was trying to do, and doesn't necessarily mesh with what they're doing right now either. So uh, it seemed like there were th- uh, three different sort of voices and styles that were. Uh, operating with within their organization, and maybe Sweeney Neely and uh, Bruce Cassidy will be a little bit more on the same page than they were with Claude. You know, he was here ten years. Maybe it's time for a change. Uh, I'm not necessarily a believer in that philosophy because they use that excuse when Terry Francona was fired, and I'm still mad about that. But uh, maybe it was the case. We've seen positive signs. That it was a case, and the the irony is, uh, Canadians have thrived since he's been up there too. So maybe they needed the same sort of change. So. Uh, I guess uh, a good deal all around, as great as Claude was here for a long time. We were talking with Chad Finn from the Boston Globe and Boston.com. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about Red Sox and uh, see what, what he expects from them this year. You're listening to the B-List on a Saturday morning on Sports Time 780 and SportsTime780.com. Central and Western Maine's new sports leader. Welcome back. Fourth and final segment of the B-List today. If you missed anything on the B-List, you can catch it on demand after the show. Download it in podcast form. Go to sportstime780.com. That is sportstime780.com. Chad Finn from the Boston Globe joins us. Find him online at boston.com. Also find him and like him on Twitter, Globe Chad Finn. You know, when, when I, 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 I'm starting to get pretty excited about baseball season. You know, as, as a Yankees fan, I've actually got some young players to root for instead of, you know... <laughs> what dubby, like, scrubby free agent they, they were trying to roll through with. Um, I'm also thanking my lucky stars that A-Rod doesn't play anymore because this Jennifer Lopez thing would just be ridiculous um, and, <laughs> and would just cause all sorts of, of, of issues. But, you know, watching the young players come up and, and, and kind of go from there, it's been kind of fun. But it, it's kind of a weird role reversal. You know, Brian Cashman calling the Red Sox the, uh, the Golden State Warriors of the offseason and, and the Sox going out and getting Chris Sale and really playing some heavy fantasy baseball. What are you expecting from this team this year? Do you think they're all going to make the leap? Are they going to be able to replace everything that Ortiz is leaving behind? Or, you know, I think it's very interesting. This is a very uh, interesting year for the Red Sox, I think. I think the Red Sox, uh, the absence of Ortiz has been widely underestimated. I know a lot of the beat guys and some of the guys I work with and, and friends and colleagues of mine have sort of taken the approach that, yes, he had a phenomenal year, you know, third with 37, 38 home runs of the league in OPS uh, and slugging and uh, just uh, went out on top in terms of his own performance, um, that they're still going to be able to overcome that because they scored 101 more runs than any other team in the league. And and, uh, that's all true, but uh, they had a lot of things go right last year. Nobody got hurt. 
uh, my colleague Alex Spear wrote about how they had seven in 145 games, which has happened like, I don't know, a dozen times in baseball history. It, it, it's very rare where your regulars are your regulars. They're out there from April or September, hopefully into October. And that happened to the Red Sox last year. Uh, you lose Hanley Ramirez, who had 30 home runs last season and had a great year. Or if something happens to Mookie Betts where he's out for a couple weeks, or Bogarts for a couple weeks, uh, or Pedroia goes back to having uh, his injury-plagued ways before last season, uh, you're in a little bit more trouble than I think you're accounting for at this point. I mean, uh, Hanley, Hanley, back on the great season, uh, Ortiz is kind of a great season himself. If he can repeat that, that's terrific. But he's being counted on to repeat it. I don't know necessarily you were counting on him to that last year. It felt like a bonus because of the difficult season he had the year before, his history of injuries. Uh, now you need it. You need Mookie to be as great as he was last year when he could have won the MVP. You need Bogarts another step forward. You need Jackie Bradley to uh, come close to 26 home runs again and maybe be a little bit more consistent. And I just don't know that you can count on all those things. Uh, the, the Leon's not going to hit 300 again. And anybody who thinks Sandoval is going to be anything approaching what he was with the Giants... He's an adequate player. If you're lucky, he's not going to have a Hanley type of uh, a reinvention this year, a comeback. He was never the hitter Hanley was, or at least he hasn't been for six seasons now. So uh, you are uh, you're counting on a lot of things that happened last year that were both talent, but also uh, you were very lucky and fortunate. And without Ortiz, the, the margin for error is much smaller with those uh, than it was a year ago. I, I think it's going to be more of an issue, his absence than people realize at the moment. You know, I, I felt that too, um, just because I, I think people were expecting Benintendi to make that next leap. And that that's one thing I think we all get bitten with, with baseball. And I think we've all seen it from the time you probably started watching it to the time I started watching it. You see the young player do well the one year. It's the one thing I'm worried about with Gary Sanchez. It's they do really well that first year. And you're like, all right, they're going to make that leap forward next year. And sometimes they take a step back. You know, you saw it with Luis Severino last year um and you see it on the pitching side you see it on the hitting side so that's one thing i worry about with a benintendi because i've also heard oh well he's gonna gain weight he's gonna he's got 20 pounds on you know another 20 pounds he's all set sometimes these guys bulk up and they don't hit that well so i think there's a lot of issues this year i also think if they get off to a slow start i think john farrell is going to be on the hot seat i i think he was uh I, I think he was on the hot seat at times last year and in it'll be interesting if they decide to make a move you know, similar to like the the McNamara Morgan thing back in '88, where if they if they scuffle, if he becomes the fall guy for something, yeah, that that wouldn't be a shock at all if they had a difficult April because they're built to win. I mean, uh, Wheeler and Dealer Dave Dombrowski traded away half of the X Sea Dogs that were on all the prospect <laughs> lists to uh, to uh, go out and get Chris Sale to go out and build this team to uh, to be. If not the American League favorite, then right there with Cleveland to get to the World Series. And should they go, you know, thirteen and uh, or twelve and thirteen or whatever it is in April or uh, uh, sub five hundred, and that carries over into early May, there there will definitely be calls for Farrell. Um, he's not the most popular manager as it is. I think people have forgotten what a lousy manager really looks like. He's he's in the middle. You know, he's good. At, he's great at player management. The young players have developed on his watch. A communicator. Handles the pitching staff a little bit more uh, obtusely than you would expect a former major league pitcher and pitching coach himself to do it. But in general, he's middle of the pack. He he doesn't kill you. He doesn't win you a lot of games either. Uh, but because Tito was so good for so long, uh, I, I I think the uh, so Farrell is probably worse than he is. Sort of hangs over things. Uh, go you know bring Grady Little back for a while and you'll feel pretty good about Farrell. But 
Or Joe Kerrigan. Yeah, if they struggle. And, yeah, Joe Kerrigan, right? Yeah, the worst of the worst. Um, if they struggle, you know, they, uh, the, he's definitely going to hear it. I mean, there's two sports radio stations in Boston and a bunch of others all over New England and uh, columnists and bloggers like myself that uh, will be out there howling for a change, even if we have no idea what a change would actually do or who, who should take over. Got Chad Finn in for the Boston Globe. Find him uh, online at boston.com. You know, it, with uh, with some of the changes that have happened down in Boston sports media uh, recently, uh, Entercom is in, in. It looks like in 98.5 the Sports Hub and, and, and all of that's going to be all under the same roof. Is that going to change anything up, or are they going to like? Do, do, will that eventually change anything uh, between the two rosters, or is, is there going to be like a period of quiet while they assess what they do? I, I just feel like it, it's a very unique situation with this all possibly being owned by the same company. Yeah, yeah, that's a great mystery. Everybody's nervous. I know that. Um, the, the, with the merger, uh, you can't own, I think it's more than FCC rules, you can't own more than eight FM stations, right. or eight stations, five being FM, I think, in one market. And uh, they would own, what, nine or ten at that point. I know they're, what, uh, six CBS radio stations. I have to look it up. But they own a bunch in the market. So they're going to have to pare down a couple. Uh, logically... It wouldn't be one of the sports stations because uh, they're going to be one, two in the men demo again in uh, in the next ratings book. And it's a different they they get uh, different portions of that men's demographic. Uh, WEI trends older, 985 trends younger. So between the two of them, they're absolutely dominating that uh, that cash lucrative uh, uh, market. And uh, as long as they keep that up, I think they're both going to be OK. But if that doesn't keep up. And they decide, you know, this is overkill. It's uh, redundant or whatever. Why do we need two sports radio stations? You know, if somebody outside of the Boston market makes that call at Intercom, they could be in trouble. Uh, the people who are actually nervous are the ones behind the scenes. You know, the, the with the merger, uh, they don't need uh, they're not going to need two uh, market managers. So uh, the, the CBS guy and the, the Intercom guy currently now are probably, you know, going to be reduced to one job one way or the other some of the producers uh, ad people people like that are uh, very nervous about how it's going to work out and you know some of the 98.5 people are as well because uh, intercoms are going to be overseeing everything even though it's 72 percent cbs radio stockholders that will be in this once the merger happens at the in the second half of this year uh, the intercom management is overseeing both so the 98.5 guys the cbs radio guys that kind of feel like they're going to be at a disadvantage there um, but again, they have really high ratings with their shows. The Felger and Mass show has been number one in the market for four years running, which is crazy. So uh, they might be okay, but you know, there's there's a paranoia that that comes anytime your management changes in in uh, any job and position. And you know how radio is; it's uh, especially crazy, and uh, you, you know, it, it, not always the most secure job, even when you think it is. That's one hundred percent. That's one hundred percent correct. Do you think that the sports? You know, EEI has streams. You know, you. You can hear EEI here in Maine. Uh, they got a couple of stations in Portland. I know they got one in Providence. Is the hub eventually going to syndicate throughout New England? I mean, I, I feel like that's an opportunity that they've missed as well here in the last couple of years because there could have been opportunity for that in a, quite a few spots. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think they're a little more corporate than uh, EEI is in terms of CBS Radio. You know, not anymore, but CBS Radio owns them for the time being. And uh, they never really looked to do that sort of uh uh, branching out with smaller satellites and in smaller markets within New England or with the same region, 
um, they're more content to uh, boost their streaming numbers. It's funny, their streaming number is measured by Nielsen EIs, isn't so I have to do all the stupid math when I get the ratings about what uh, what percentage of of uh, of the share for WEI is actually a streaming number, whereas with 98.5, it's all right there on the Nielsen sheets, and they get a good number. I mean, they get a, they get a bigger number streaming uh, in Boston than they do, uh, than a lot of radio stations do. It's like probably five times what ESPN radio gets in Boston, uh, and that, of course, carries over to New England. You know, you hear WEI say, uh, we're the most listened to station in New England, and, and yeah, that's pro- probably true because they have satellites everywhere. Uh, but uh, the streaming numbers for 98.5 are huge. And I, my car, I can't pick up 98.5 until I'm south of the York Toll, but uh, I know a lot of people here do listen to it on their phones, and uh, uh, I don't think they've ever felt the need to branch into Portland or Providence because they know people are listening on their, their mobile devices. Talking with Chad Finn from the Boston Globe, wrapping up the B-list today. For more, uh, for more information on him, find him online, boston.com. You can also find him, and like him, on, uh, find him on Twitter and follow him there. Globe Chad Finn. Chad, always great to, to catch up. And, uh, man, we, we did end up running out of time, so no main guide stories for anybody today. <laughs> but at some point, some point, someday. We will. We, need, we always have to do the full Otis Nixon podcast. Yeah, we, 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 we got to do that. Eventually, there needs to be, like, a, I'd really like to see at some point some team, like, honor, like the, like, the remaining guides that are left and, like, have them come through, like, Hadlock or something. I mean, that would be... At some point, you'd think some bad blood had had gone away enough that we could do that and get the Dave Clarks in and the and and, and the Shaney Dugases and stuff like that, and maybe get them up and get on right. it. I think that would be a fun night. Hey, John Farrell, right? Get John Farrell, Farrell could get in. You know, he he. I've had interviews with John Farrell before. He really liked his time that he got to spend. He talked about how beautiful the ballpark was. Everybody does. I mean, I think it's yeah. a, I think it's a big opportunity. That's that's something we could. That, that was a lot of baseball history that I, I think gets gets overlooked sometimes because of the way it ended. So well, they they left in '88, so maybe the Sea Dogs can do like a 30th anniversary of that next year and rub it in that they've lasted much longer. I, I think they should absolutely do that. Chad, thank you very much. A pull some strings. Yeah. All right, man. Take care. <laughs> Talk to you soon. This has been the B List for a Saturday. We'll catch you next week. Of course, you can always catch us online sportstime780.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.